on this week's show discussing 3D printing with Anna Chin Yun Tai from Apis Core. In this week's news, Bill Gates investing, is a downturn coming, upskilling, and more. Construction is the world's oldest industry, but spends the least amount of money on innovation. When we realized people outside the construction industry didn't typically associate construction with technology, like virtual reality, apps, and robotics, we started the Contact Crew. Each week, we bring our listeners the latest in contact news and interview the minds behind the technological innovations changing the way we build. So strap in, enjoy the ride, and geek out. It's Contact Crew time. Good morning, Trent. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? Doing pretty well, Jeff. Hey, it's it's good to be with you here on uh, on one of the other shows that you do. Uh, you've got you've got quite a few of them in your stable these days. But yeah, really glad to be outside of uh, the construction dorks and join you here on the on what's kind of the the original to all of it, right? Here on the Contact Cruise. So this is like this is like the mecca of construction tech podcasts, right? Yeah, it might be considered the mecca of contact podcast. We might have been the beginning, but it's great to be on the other shows with you. It's great to be sitting down with all these incredible people that join us here. So Trent, tell us a little bit about where you work, what you do, how you got here through this process. I mean, you've been a construction technologist for a while at North Mechanical. Hey, and I love to see that background, man. You're a big part of the MCAA. Yeah, repping the Mechanical Contractors Association of America here. So Sean McGuire was gracious enough to make me a part of the Technology and Innovation Committee there for the nation's Mechanical Contracting Association. Proud to, uh, really proud to represent them. That's great, Trent. Thanks. And our guest today, Anna Chin Yun Tai from Apiscore. How are you doing? Hey, very good. Thank you very much for having me. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for being a part of the show. But before we get started... With our interview, never miss an episode by having every episode sent straight to your email inbox when you text CONTECH to 66866. It's not just the audio, you're getting the CONTECH Cruise weekly email with links to the episode, show notes, and the articles we discuss on today's show. Again, text CONTECH to 66866. According to the CDC, construction occupations have the highest rate of suicide, as well as the highest number of suicides across all occupational groups. To combat these statistics, contractors, unions, associations, industry service providers, and project owners must work together to stand up for suicide prevention. The Constructions Industry Alliance for Suicide Prevention is raising awareness about the risk of suicide within the construction industry and providing suicide prevention resources and tools to create a zero suicide industry. Visit preventconstructionsuicide.com for more information. Before we jump into our interview, let's take a moment for today's sponsor, Hilti. James spoke with Matt Jackson, Senior Director of Electric Tools and Accessories, about how Hilti is using construction tech to combat the labor shortage. I'm here with Matt Jackson, Senior Director of Marketing of Hilti. Matt, you and the Hilti team have been talking with a lot of customers and industry professionals. Tell us, what are some of the biggest concerns the industry is facing right now? Uh, some recent reports show that 80% of contractors can't find the labor that they need. And over 35% of customers are spending 14 hours of unproductive time each week. So you imagine all those projects, we're trying to get them done, move on to the next project, and we can't uh, complete them because we can't find the right things at the right time to get the work done. 
So what is Hilti doing to address uh, these concerns and to help out with uh, the issues that are facing the industry? Hilti strives to be the contractor that partners with our customers to solve these, these challenges. Uh, we have uh, over 4,000 employees in North America. Many of those are field-facing and work directly with contractors. And we have an entire group uh, devoted to solving solutions uh, that, uh, that our customers have problems with. Essentially, you can treat uh, Hilti as a consultant, not just a problem solver anymore. Now, on to our interview with Anna Chin Yoon Tai from Apiscore. Anna, we love to find out about the people behind the tech. So tell us a little bit about your background and what led you into 3D printing buildings. Yeah, absolutely. So I never had kind of like the idea when I, you know, was a child, like, oh, I'm going to do 3D printed homes, right? <laughs> it's never been something like that. <laughs> but I wanted to be entrepreneur, right? Because my mom used to be entrepreneur and my grandmother also was entrepreneur. So it's kind of like it's surrounded by this vibe and the work ethic. And I said, like, yeah, I want to be the same. But I didn't have any idea what exactly is going to be, what I'm going to do as an entrepreneur, right? So then I decided, okay, while I'm, I'm figuring this out, I need to spend my time in, at university, which actually was five years, to study something really interesting, fundamental, and inspiring. So this is how I ended up studying space physics for five years and physics in general. <laughs> so uh, that was like the first step. But then uh, closer to the end of the, uh, my studying at the university, I met Nikita Chen Yuntai. So he, right, right now we're doing the episode together. And back then he already was in the uh, business of industrial machinery. So he built the machines for factories. He has a, like a extensive experience in robotics, in CNC machines, in the really complex CNC routers. So I thought like, wow, that's so, so interesting. I just want to be part of this. So I started helping him with this. This is how I gained all of the knowledge about the robots, industrial machines and everything. And then a little bit later, we got the contract uh, at Olympic Games in 2014 to design, fabricate, and deploy 5,000 navigation signages as a part of ground navigation system for all of the visitors at Olympic Games. So we basically were responsible for millions of people not to get lost there, right? Because it's a huge international event. <laughs> and I was like a 22 right? <laughs> so we successfully delivered that project. That was a huge experience. And the project was about $6 million. So it was an experience for us on a, such a massive project related to construction somehow, and also made our first big money. But we also saw how outdated construction industry was, because we always were delayed. We couldn't deploy our signages because, for example, stadium was not ready. And we saw that it's really that the process really heavily relied on the skilled labor, which we all know really very hard to find on time and very hard to manage. And so basically after that experience, um, Nick uh, was inspired and like a thought how the uh, robotics and automation can be introduced to construction process. 3D printers and concrete 3D printing technology back then was already pretty, you know, like uh, innovative and everybody was speaking about that. But all of the printers, they were very big and gantry. It was basically like the, you know, desktop plastic 3D printers on steroids, you know. <laughs> and of course, because you need to build something bigger than just plastic uh, figure or something like that, you need to 3D print the house. 
And just imagine how much it costs to to transport such a big machine, right? Deploy it, assemble, disassemble. So Nick knew that it's not going to work and it's not really a scalable solution for construction. And this is how he came up with the design of the unique 3D printer that we actually use today. And he created this from scratch. So this is kind of story behind our company. So my co-founder, and we also married a couple, he's my husband. So he is the, this uh, genius behind the technology and he's the inventor of the machine. But we started all of this together and it was a pretty intensive journey so far, I would say, because you really need to figure out how this disruptive technology can be successfully integrated in the so conservative and outdated construction industry. That's awesome. Trent? Yeah. So, so I think you're, I think you're leaving out a, a key ingredient in all this. You keep, you keep referring to your husband as the genius. Uh, I, I know I'm speaking to one here because you said the word physics in your education. And I, I think I almost <laughs> failed high school physics, but uh, you know, so, but let's talk a little bit more about the origin because obviously the education and, and, and your husband's background in machining and things like that, but from the technological side, but let's talk about some of your incubation there. So you were a resident, right? of a technology center for Autodesk. Which one of those did, did you reside at? It was in Boston, Massachusetts. Okay, okay, the Boston, yeah. So I've, I've had the pleasure of touring that facility. Yeah, it's really cool. But maybe highlight a little bit of what that al- uh, allowed you guys to find out or what that did for you and, and uh, talk a little bit about how that kind of spring-loaded you guys. Oh yeah, absolutely. So it was in 2018, I think. We already participated in NASA competition. And so we needed to have a space and support, you know, how to deliver this for, uh, task. Because the NASA competition, just a little bit background about that. NASA competition called 3D Printed Habitat Challenge. It was about how the autonomous robotics technologies can be someday deployed on the moon and Mars to build shelters for first to arrive, right? For first to arrive. And of course, like, uh, and they wanted to do the 3D printing. So the task was to 3D print pretty like a big uh, elements autonomously. So that means if we have any human intervention, right? Like to fix the robot or something like that, your score is immediately drops, right? So that was the, the biggest challenge. And so this is how we got first in our Autodesk Technology Center. And so we originally, we wanted to be in San Francisco, but they say like, no, you have a huge machine. <laughs> we couldn't like fit you there. <laughs> you need to go to Boston. To, they have the largest, I think, technology center there. And so this is how it started. We successfully delivered the task for NASA competition. We took the first place for that uh, part of the uh, competition. It was like a, several levels. And team of Autodesk Technology Center in Boston, they helped us significantly. So they sometimes really like uh, helped us to, you know, uh, set up the robot, the another robot, ABB, robotics arm, because it was the task how our robot can also work, can be synchronized with the robotics arm to install the pipe. So it was a lot of really technology challenges. They helped us a lot. And then later on, we stayed there for two years and we kept actually developing our technology there in in general, because you have access to all the CNC machines, you have access to all of the trainings, and you also have access to network. We also met their uh, team from Torton Tamasetti. It's like the one of the biggest uh, civil engineering company in the United States. They, they kind of like a, do some structural engineering for Brooklyn uh, Bridge, for example. 
And this is how our cooperation with them started. They help us with the structural structural uh, calculations and engineering for one of our 3D printed homes. And so I can always say good things about Autodesk Tech Center. I gained even more, you know, hands-on experience. I'm very good right now in, in water jets, you know, how to cut all of the metal and everything like that. Laser cutting, all of the, uh, you know, smaller 3D printers. So that was a huge, uh, really, uh, contribution in our journey and uh, in, in me personally, you know, in all of my hands-on skills. Yeah, I think that Autodesk Center does a lot. But it was, it's interesting, too, if you guys are listening in, you can actually go back. We covered that NASA uh, competition, and we were excited wow. to see that you guys did so well in that competition. Now, where, say that again. Where did you land in that competition? Did you win that competition? Or, yes. Yeah, so that's what I thought. Competition... Contains of five levels. Mm -hmm. So it was uh, three construction levels when you actually need to autonomously 3D print some structures. And it also was two levels of virtual design when you need to design the future habitat that can be uh, built on Mars using the uh, local materials. And also you you have to consider all of the radiation. That's a lot of uh, happening there on Mars. (laughs) You need to build something that can be seen there, right? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's a unique problem. We're like, oh... This grade's not very good. You know, where are we going to exactly? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, wait, no, this is a whole new planet with a whole bunch of new things to worry yeah. about. So where, you know, it's like, where did you get the water? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's the, another problem there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're missing a few things on Mars, right? Um, so, you, so, so there <laughs> was a couple levels. So the second level is really understanding the materials and, and that. And then did you say there was another level there? Yeah. So basically those two levels, two construction levels, we took the first place there. It was first you needed to 3D print the slab, also autonomously, kind of like a concrete slab. And we also had, we also had to do uh, a lot of tests. For example, we dropped the Olympic core from five meters height. And then you need to see how your concrete slab actually impacted, right? It's kind of like a simulate the asteroid or something like that. Mm-hmm. For the second uh, uh, level, we 3D printed kind of like a big barrel, concrete barrel, I would say. And then we we filled it uh, with the water. And then you need to check the leakage of the water, right? So we didn't have any leakage. So our structure is very good in that. So it's really like you have to 3D print autonomously. And also your material has to have a very high physical properties, right? Mm -hmm. And also you need to do all of the kind of scientific tests and something like that. And then it was the final level in Illinois. It was the Caterpillar Facility Center. So because we won everything, we automatically was kind of like a, allowed to participate in the final. But we just decided to skip because it, we, we had too much going on with the Dubai project back then in Dubai uh, for Dubai government. So it just was too much for us, you know. But I'm really happy for our other teams. They participated in this and they needed to 3D print like a full scale habitat, kind of something like that. Yeah. So it was really interesting i i wish we could we could do this but. yeah well, you got to balance right you only have so many resources yeah. and 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 exactly. talk a little bit about the dubai project because we we actually covered the dubai project because in in dubai they've started to kind of mandate or push for more and more 3d printed capabilities so how did yeah. that project go and, and and what was that all about yeah so the dubai project it's basically we 3d printed the walls for the two-story administrative building mm-hmm. This building is, looks beautiful. It's really top, uh, like really high because it looks like four-story building because each floor is about 15 feet tall. 
that was a huge challenge, everything, you know, to do this. And nobody still kind of can do the same project. And the square footage of the building, it's 6,400 square feet. Mm. So it's a big. And so originally, how, how basically story story started, Dubai back then, they already announced that they want to do the to achieve the goal when by 2030, I think, like a 30% of houses have to be 3D printed. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a part of exploration, how they actually going to do this, right? <laughs> they said uh, our technology and they said like, oh, let's do the pilot project together because they also experimented before with 3D printing, but they, they experimented with the large Gentry printers. And it was not something that they were impressed, you know, or not something that they expected. They wanted to build big, big building directly on site and, you know, have all of the uh, interesting features of the design and something like that. So, yeah, we uh, delivered that uh, pilot project. That was a huge research and development project for us and for Dubai government, mm-hmm. for all of the our collaborative team. So that also helped us to gain unique experience and knowledge in material science. And we actually uh, significantly improved the, the robots after that. And we created Gary. It's a mixing and pump machine because we used like the different machine before mm-hmm. and it was complete disaster. So we said like, you know, if we really want to build through the printed houses, we need to create our own mixing and pump machine. And we kind of actually like uh, rebuilt the 3D printer just in the desert, you know, because it was, uh, everything was a huge improvement all the way we 3D printed that building. I was going to say, that's the, that's got to be some of the things that you've learned throughout doing the process with Autodesk and throughout, you know, the competition itself and then going to Dubai. What, so you have a number of different printers now that have come out of this. It's not one giant yeah. thing. In fact, mm-hmm. pre-show, you're kind of explaining to us the family idea that you have. So yeah. we have Gary, who's the mixing and pumping. Um, <laughs> what other changes did you have to make along the way? So first, the 3D printer itself. Yep. So back to Dubai time, Dubai era in our company. <laughs> uh, the robot, it was not so mobile. So it wasn't mounted on the mobile platform, right? So we needed to use crane to move the robot. It still was compact and kind of like easy to transport compared to any other machine that time. Mm-hmm. But it's still kind of like you need to use the crane or pallet jack all the time. And it was a very painful process, even for our compact machine. So now we have the current version of the 3D printer. It's mounted on the mobile Caterpillar trucks, you know, And so basically you need to use joystick and robot moves themselves, right? For example, I don't need to have a pallet jack or don't need to have a crane. I can operate printer easily. So that was one of the bigger, big thing that we learned. And we also incorporated a bunch of, I I think maybe like a hundred of devices, mechanisms and processes, how we pump the, the, the material where the actual pump should be located on the printer. So it, it was really like a giant leap. I would say, mm-hmm. like a, in total. And then we also uh, created uh, Mary. It's a bulk truck that delivers the 3D print material to the construction site. So we get got to the point when we have kind of like a close-up system, you know, and we know like, okay, 3D print the house. This is what you need. This is how we're going to do this. And we can maintain the quality and the final re- final result. Trent, I know this sounds a lot like, you know, controlling the manufacturing process, right? <laughs> I'm sure yeah. it brings some questions to mind. Yeah, I want uh, to I want to real quick go back to the, uh, the family names. You know, we had talked about that earlier. So what uh, which one of the 
machines is, is named Frank. You remind me. It's the printer. The printer itself is named Frank. Yeah. 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 So uh, if you look at a little bit of what Apis Core is doing on their website, uh, you'll, you'll see some of their uh, home designs. And if, if you're into architecture like me uh, and a bit of Americana, you'll see some of the designs inspired by Frank Lloyd Wright. And at first, at first glance, you're thinking, you know, what would Frank Lloyd Wright think of a machine <laughs> building my home? But then if you really dive into it more, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright had all these studios, right, where he brought in residents and he was a firm believer in the designer also doing the building. I think, you know, his students did everything. I think it's really kind of cool because now these designs, I mean, it, it's a it's a technological design, right? Yeah. And the technology is doing the building. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it, it, it is it is kind of that same carryover. I mean, yeah. Uh, w with the use of this tech and this machine, right? I mean, yeah. The designer is building the building, I guess, to, mm -hmm. for, for all intensive purposes. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the 3D printer was named after him, after Frank, yeah. the architect. And Frank, he also uh, designed the homes with the, all of the curved walls, right? We can see kind of this very nice, smooth uh, curved walls. And it's something that's very easy to do by our Frank, right? It's the machine. <laughs> it doesn't matter yeah. if it's straight or curved. But curved walls, it's pretty expensive to do with the traditional um, materials, right? When you just need to lay the, the bricks, for example. So, yeah, uh, this is kind of the, I would say, marriage be, uh, between the two ideas. And, uh, yeah, like a real Frank and our Frank. <laughs> right. If you're into architecture, I just think that's cool. I think that is, yeah. that's a really cool, cool idea. Yeah, I, I have to say, I think Frank Lloyd Wright would be like, sweet, we can do all sorts of strange angles. <laughs> Nobody can tell me no. Nobody, Nobody can, can tell me no. Yeah, like, <laughs> Finally. There's, there's no more no. It's like, it's got a bend to yeah. it. Sure. The printer will handle it for you. Although I think he might have been like, well, you're not calling it Frank. You're going to call it Frank's tool or something, you know, but um, <laughs> yeah. but, but it's awesome. So so you've been changing that. You've, you've you know, uh, I like the single stream and controlling the quality from the delivery of the materials and understanding those to the pumps and whatnot that that supply the machine and the machine being mobile. Because again, this is, you know, this is part of being able to deploy housing to all sorts of places and we're going to need that. Yeah. What other innovations or things do you kind of, are you looking down that pipe? Because I can guarantee you, you're looking down the pipe for new things. What other challenges are you looking for and ways to you to push APIS Core forward? So now we really focused on construction technologies and it's something that's related to walls right? Mm -hmm. We can do value engineering, how we can install um, insulation, for example, right? Because we're not just focused on how to quickly and cheaper build the walls. We consider ourselves at the construction technology company. And it's something that I mentioned before. We know how we can expedite secondary construction. This is how we call it. It's the roofing, windows, mechanical, electrical, plumbing, right? So we know that this is what our vision and what we believe in. Because when you use 3D printing technology, your shell of a house, the walls, they all the time come with the consistent quality and consistent uh, sizes, right? So you all the time build the same structure, like a, uh, as precise to like a quarter of inch, for example, right? Mm -hmm. So that helps to arrange and schedule the secondary construction and install it even like a, as we print. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is really the long term uh, goal and our vision that how we really can expedite the entire construction so we can build a home per week. And I 
it's not just the pre prefab or modular home, how we can use this technology through the printing technology to build the entire home, the finished home per week. So this is something that we right now really focus on. Yeah, because it, it's really like a big change. And But we believe it's something that needed. Because the problem right now with the construction and the, the housing, because there is no enough inventory. And you know, like the biggest companies and home builders in the, in the nation, they build really tiny por- portion of how many houses we actually need to build, right? Mm-hmm. So we need to increase the output right mm-hmm. for the of the homes and this is how we see we can do this now are you looking at that mainly in the u.s market or are you looking at that globally because you seem like more of a global company we see the united states is the first market where we're going to enter right and we're going to spend here maybe like a two three years i don't know to figure this out and then we will be ready to scale up right and uh, then we go to canada for example or to i don't know uh, countries in africa right but it's really like a different product market fit mm-hmm. whenever you go so we just want to make sure that before we go there we know how really deploy the technology and scale up quickly so yeah answering your question is globally but we're going to spend some time first in the united states so where's that current focus going to be i mean do you have do you guys have some projects that you're that you're headed out after somewhere people can see this yet? Like where where can my construction technology dorks go find this? <laughs> so we had two projects last year, one in Missouri, another one in Boca Chica, Texas. But those projects was kind of part of their product development and it, they're not so open to the public as I can gotcha. kind of hint you. <laughs> but we have the showroom in the in Melbourne, Florida. In the showroom, you can see the robots. And you can see the samples of 3D printed walls with the insulation, with the reinforcement. So we have the showroom where you at least can kind of see the piece of the technology, right? Yep. And for the next year, we are already scheduling the, the projects. One of them is uh, 100 homes in Alabama. It's a Birmingham city in Alabama. All right. Birmingham, Alabama coming the, first. The, yep. Yes. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. hey, it's going to be right. affordable housing. Yeah. And we also work with the uh, company in North Carolina. So they build homes, like tiny homes, for the chronically homeless people. So it's also the next project for the next year for us. And we have the uh, partner in Austin, Texas. So we're also going to have a project with them. So right now, we're really busy to, to line up the projects for the next year and further. So you're going to see more and more projects done by us in the United States next year. So when it's you guys, is it is it? Are you working with a developer? Or are you working with a contractor that's going to use your tools? Tell me how that yeah, looks. That's what I was going to ask. So we are the technology provider company. So our uh, business model is when we rent out 3D printers to construction companies, and we also exclusively sell our 3D print material. It also helps us to make sure the end result is going to be perfect. We can maintain the quality, right? So we basically equip construction technology uh, construction companies with our tool with our technology so they can increase productivity quality and build faster and better home right but before we go there we have the penetration strategy penetration to the market when we also provide 3d printing services for the home builders who build like, at least 50 homes so the cooperation in, in Alabama and we cooperate the home builder uh, there and we're going to build the walls for them, through the print the walls for them. 
and kind of like figure out this all together, you know? I think it's great because it, it it's giving our contractors in the United States right now an opportunity to look at 3D printing, a look at how it can work, and then partner with a company to do it. We've seen this with a couple other robotics companies along the way or, you know, new type of technology companies. And there's always this fear that you're going to like take our jobs. And it's not about that. It's about yeah. arming us with a new way to do, to do and deliver. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and, and I think that's important because we, we have a lot of listeners out there that are on the edge looking out at their businesses, leaders going, where do we go next? And, you know, we'll get into this in some of the articles, but there's going to be, you know, some changes and shifts and how do you adapt and how do you change yeah. to that future and those needs and still deliver? So uh, I think it's awesome. Trent, any last questions for Anna before we move on? Oh, no, this is all really great. I mean, you took the one, it, it, uh, it reminds me a lot of, of what like the dusty robotics team and what some of these other ones are doing for our industry. Uh, you know, you're, you're selling like a, like a precision instrument package yeah. to the building world. Uh, and, and it's really neat, I guess, you know, looking at the website, are, are there plans for you guys to also kind of catalog and sell designs or are you more just wanting to provide the means to another design? I mean, it, it looked to me like you guys kind of had some uh, some design work going on too. Yeah, so we do everything, right? Because we understand that it's so new, right? And even though we say that our walls are the same as a concrete masonry unit block wall, right? So we kind of like a, the walls just built dif differently, right? But we understand that it's going to be the learning curve and we have to pioneer everything involved in the process. So yes, we do create the designs kind of like a spec homes because we know better what can be 3D printed faster and in a more efficient way, right? So we do the designs and we also have Episcore University when professionals like architects or designers, they can actually learn how to create the designs, right? So what, I, what I'm trying to say is that at the end of the day, it will be very easy to design the house, to create the construction documents. Because again, it's pretty the same as the traditionally built home. But before we come there, we have to show, right, how to do this. We are the pioneer in this. Uh -huh. So right now, we really do a lot. So okay, build homes, create designs, uh, online courses, machines, material, uh, civil engineering. So yeah, we understand that it's it has to come a lot from us first. No, that's important, and I'm and I'm glad you have that approach because I think that's where that's where a lot of people kind of die by the wayside. Is I see what your end game is being the technology provider, uh, but a lot of people try to try to start with being that. But yeah, you've you've got to prove yourself first. Yeah. It, it it's really neat. So uh, I, I think your market strategy has been pretty pretty spot on, and that's that's probably why we're we're hearing your name. A lot. So. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, it's it's great to have you in that environment and doing that because you know it's it's you're teaching them how to fish too, right? You're you're trying to get a business off right. and running and going, but you're going to teach them how to fish, and that's that's just part of anything. I mean, Trent, in the yeah. in in our world of fabrication, we talk about productization and having designers understand how to consume those products and then use those products. And, and y'all are going through a lot of that as well. So I think this process is just amplified when you start talking about the walls and the engineering, et cetera, it's, it gets a little bit more complicated, but also, I mean, the area that you're in, Anna, is critical to the, to not only our country, but, but the world in general, from a housing yeah. perspective, a stability perspective, you know, I start to look at, you know, other places and outside of this country where things are hit harder because construction doesn't meet certain 
criteria there and and there's an opportunity there but you got to learn somewhere first we're happy you're going to learn here you know we've been covering you guys for a long time so excited to see this here and you know let us know when alabama when birmingham gets up and running where we can get some construction technologists out there to take a look um because i'm excited to see it absolutely i will be happy to invite you Awesome. Well, I wish we had a little bit more time, but it's time to wrap up and talk about the construction technology news. But before we get into that news, let's listen in on the second half of the conversation James had with Matt Jackson, Senior Director of Electrical Tools and Accessories at Hilti. And I'm back with Matt Jackson, Senior Director of Marketing at Hilti. Matt, some folks are going to push back and say, well, adopting all this technology is a huge investment, right? What's the return on investment? So JBot Semi-Automated Drilling Robot helps our customers do their work faster. Uh, We have this type of approach in all of our technologies, whether it's core drilling with automated assist, uh, whether it's Neuron, our new cordless platform, to help our customers be able to find their tools, see where they were last used, and be able to Uh, make sure that their assets are not being hoarded in one place or location on uh, various job sites. So whatever type of solution that you get from Hilti, we're here to make customers much more efficient with their time, make sure that their teams have what they need where they need it, and that when they're doing the work, they're as efficient as possible. We're dealing with a labor shortage. Uh, Companies probably don't have a tech specialist who they can work with, so how can they find the right solution to fit their need? Hilti offers uh, a large group of solution consultants that can help you understand the problems that you're facing. Uh, we can customize a plan just for you, and we can deliver that solution um, you know, back as a proposal, work with you through the finer details, make sure that uh, the both the solution works for you, but that you can also adopt it. So we'll have on-site support to help you transition to, to new tech. Another topic near and dear to our adoption. How do they, that that consulting team, get employees on board? Yeah, so our solution consultants have been trained and worked with Hilti for a long time. Uh, So all of that on-site support that you're used to from Hilti now comes in the form of support directly on a job site, directly in your warehouse where you need it. So what they can help you do is transform what you've been doing to your current workflow and be able to help you get the right tech at the right place and time uh, to be able to help you get your job done. Awesome. Well, I've been here with Matt Jackson, Senior Director of Marketing at Hilti. Matt, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, James. It's been a pleasure. All right, here we go. We're going to take you into your first ever news there, Trent. Talk a little bit about what articles <laughs> you brought to us today. All right. Well, here, here's one from Arc Daily. Uh, so I don't know who's heard the name Phantom, but uh, a startup founded by Guess Guess. Bill Gates is building cost-effective net zero housing. So you're seeing now, you know, the, I'll spare you going through all the article. You can look it up yourself, but you're seeing money pouring in from investors that have no problem making money in other uh, in other areas of the world. So um, I think when you see guys like Bill Gates and them poke their head into construction, uh, you, you know that there's a real problem to solve. And you know, what they're doing is they're they're trying to design these net zero, uh, you know, sustainable buildings now that are kind of looking at how do we make something sustainable and and, and how do we ensure that that the cost to put this in place doesn't or uh, that it can produce as much as, as what's being produced to put into it. And I think it's really cool to see new construction look that route, because as we see it now, it's a lot of infrastructure retrofit. And I think now you're going to see buildings actually be planned 
around that goal rather than trying to take something that, you know, trying to rebuild an entire country to meet that goal. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one, uh, Trent, because you're talking about, you know, building these modules in factories that, you know, are about energy efficiency and thermal envelope and, and getting everything correct around a net zero home. But just like we've had Anna on, you know, there's there's different ways to do this and there's producing it in a, in a factory and then delivering it. And that takes time to understand, but it also takes those factories have to be built close by. So each one of these innovations comes with its own set of challenges. Um, and I'm interested since you're in the, you know, you guys went the route of like, we've got to deliver uh, our product to the site. Whereas this is really about building in a factory and trying to deliver the, the end product and sort of build it together on site on your thoughts on it. So first, that's really cool that people like Bill Gates really uh, pour money in this pro problem, right? Mm -hmm. Because the construction needs is huge, right? And it's like we need 3D printed houses, we need modular houses, we need as as many technologies as possible, right? But at the same time, I kind of don't really believe in modular construction, like a, to be a real like a scaled up first, because that's right, you need to deliver this module or so, like houses. And like a huge truck needed. So, you know, yes, you can prefabricate it in the factory, but as you said, you also need to build factories very close to the construction site. So that's for me kind of like, a, uh, I don't know, but also if we compare, for example, for our technology, what when we were thinking about this, how we are really different from the modular construction, we actually mobile factory of the prefabricated homes, right? So robots can 3D print the structure at the site. And what you need is basically just marry the bulk truck. And one Mary can hold the material needed to 3D print the wall structures for the single family home of like a 2,300 square feet, right? Or, or less. Yeah. Yeah. So you just transport Mary and you, you build up the walls. And frankly speaking, walls and like a shell of a house is the main thing. If you don't have shell, if you don't have walls, you basically don't have a house. You don't have anything where you can install the roof and windows, right? So then now we, we with the secondary construction, we're thinking about, okay, how we also can do roofing and windows also as a mobile factories mm -hmm. and like a quickly install it, right? So what I'm trying to say that the, that's great news. I just really interested to see how it's going to go. But for me, like uh, doing the 3D printing technology and have this kind of mindset, I, I think that it's probably not the best way how to address the affordable houses like a housing issue in general. Yeah, I think I have to agree with you there. And But what I'm always looking at as a technologist in this space, and Trent, you're probably looking at this this way too, is is they've done it, right? And so it's it's had its, it's been through a lot of process here and now you're getting the investment. Yeah, you have to build the factory first, which is like chicken and the egg issue, right? Mm -hmm. But right. this is like, you know, NASA going to, uh, you know, going to space, going to the moon. Look at how many tertiary things came out of it they're building materials that are reflective that are refractory oh, yeah. that are doing things in our in our industry so that's what i'm always looking at too is you get somebody like bill and they put all this money into it though they're going to get something out of it yeah and they're probably creating yeah. a lot of ip across the process so for me it's like I love a Bill Gates because, you know, for me, I can't lose. What did he put into it? Um, 50 million, yeah. $50 million. I can't lose $50 million. Bill's wallet opens up and $50 million can like fall out. And he's like, ah, you guys pick it up. I don't know. I don't need that. Right. Yeah. You're going to see things. You're going to see things actually happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what's great. Yeah. Yeah. Before I move on, though, I have to say, so Mary is the product yes. mover, right? Yeah. It's, it's the, oh man, it's the trailer. 
it's semi drag and the somebody has to put like a bumper sticker on that that says proud mary keeps on rolling <laughs> we so have it's gotta, you know it's gotta happen <laughs> we actually have uh at this four insta house just add water uh, like <laughs> this it. is what i don't marry i'll give you free marketing <laughs> advice right there that that yeah, comes yeah, straight, that comes, that comes straight <laughs> um, from Trent. what else you got for us today Trent? all right so this one's from the gainesville sun as technology displaces jobs, construction workers need education and training to compete. So we talk a lot, a lot about this, you know, labor shortage, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it it's kind of the, the disruption of construction and technology being introduced. Uh, you know, a lot of people are worried about, you know, where, where do these workers go or what does the modern construction worker look like? Well, you know, what, what is that going to look like? And you're seeing some schools actually talk about that and, and try to prepare people for modern construction positions as we're going through the disruption. I like one of the examples it uses. It's like, you know, an example, one robotic total station can eliminate the work of three field laborers, but these require a digital plan that is created in the office by a skilled position, typically with some kind of advanced degree. So as these tools make their way in, you know, we now have to adjust our education plan to be able to handle, or we're just going to create another labor shortage. You can call it labor. We're going to we're going to create a worker shortage somewhere if we don't prepare ourselves. Yeah, you're right. We have a labor shortage. We have a worker shortage. Um, one of the things that that I always challenge this with is, is, you know, everything's good clickbait, right? It's good clickbait that we're replacing jobs. We're really not replacing jobs. I will tell you over time, we're losing more people than we can add to this thing. Correct. So it's really about like the industry and the country as a whole actually has an upskilling thing coming Right. We, we are seeing markets change. You're seeing things go to automation across the board. And that's not just construction. It's everywhere. But most of those automations were answers to problems for low value work that it was hard to get people to do anyway. And how do we look at new value opportunities and we upskill the workforce to get there? And that's exactly what this article is really focusing on. It's like Sal D'Ambrosia talks about this all the time, where it's like, I can I can try to teach some kid out of school how to do Rev- Revit and how to design a building, but if they don't know how to in, you know install pipe and install things, they're going to build me something that I just can't physically put together. So it's far better for me to take people from the field and upskill them into the opportunity to help us build. So I think taking that field knowledge and allowing it to to be amplified with technology is the future. And but yeah, preparing those those new entrance into our business as they come out are going to be able to then take advantage of things like what Anna and the team at, at Apis Core and what other other groups are building for us. So yeah, it's a little bit of doom and gloom, but it's also, you know, we're already seeing STEM come back in in schools and really right. take an advancement forward. So, you know, and if, you, if you think about this, you see advanced manufacturing coming back to this industry, to this country. You know, we're seeing Intel build out at rapid paces, you know, chip manufacturers. Well, they're not building those out so that people can walk chips around and do things manually. There's a lot of robotics. Right. There's a lot of high-end systems. They're going to have the same problem as we are. And in fact, they're going to be competing for the skilled labor that we have. So Correct. I think when you look at this, it's really just about, you know, hey, it's time to take this emerging technology, take the skills that we need and train across and help amplify it. Because, you know, Trent, you know this, you fabricate a lot of things. If it can't be put together in the field, how how positive is that really for you? It's not at all. Yeah. Look, we look. We're not in the business to do something twice. Yeah. yeah, and you know this is what we like about the construction technologies. 
like robots or whatever we do because we really have the labor shortage but it also comes from the situation when millennials and the people like me right we are not really attractive to work in the construction site lifting all of the heavy bricks or like uh, screwing the nuts you know it, that's the problem that the previous generation they're retiring in a record number right uh-huh. and new generation they're not really interested in joining the construction industry but let's imagine that now you can be the 3d printer operator right how fun is this because actually the process is very boring once you set up the machine it just printing and our team we have a lot of pictures <laughs> from the construction side when somebody just sleeping, you know, sitting in the chair <laughs> and print their prints. <laughs> so this is something, yeah, that I think uh, they're very cool about the construction technologies. And it's really attract the architect and the new specialist to learn this. I-, I think the education is very important in this gap between infield, what happens on the site and in the office. That's really kind of the problem because you're right. If you create something and nobody wants to build this, what's the point? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're seeing that across the board. You've got, you know, you could be an operator of an Apis Core 3D house home printer. You can be the operator of a tie bot and iron bot, which is coming out yeah. from advanced construction robotics. So you're a 3D bridge printer. And, mm-hmm. you know, I and then you have, you know, the mule and Sam and you can be an operator of those. And now all of a sudden that brings masonry and other right. things back to the forefront that, it's not so hard on the body. It's really about the mind yeah. and it's really about what you can do. So I love it. And you're still building. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you one thing at the end of it all that construction has over everything is you walk away, turn around and somebody moves into that house. Somebody occupies that building. It's very tangible. It's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You get to see the end result of something. So yeah, it's very satisfying. Yeah, you want to teach somebody how why to come into this industry, drive them down the street with a, with an old foreman in the city. Like I drove through yeah. uh I drove through Atlanta with Becky Sigmund from the join team and she taught was pointing out all the projects she worked on. And <laughs> you could see the lights go on. And Rob McKinney was with us on that trip too. And he was going, Oh, do you remember about this one and that one? And those were just, you know, they were uh, you know, Rob was on the safety side and 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 Becky was just on the not just, but on the owners and architect side. And you, you can see the world around you. It's just, it's, it's way more tangible. So mm-hmm. I love that one today, Trent. I'm going to take us on into the next one, which is new electric heavy equipment. I think we've covered a bit of this before, but I, I, I think you're just having to get ready for heavy construction equipment gets a jolt. So we're seeing yet another, the Bobcat T7X is an electric compact track loader. It's going to be shipping in 2023. So we're starting to see electric equipment come onto our job sites. This is going to bring a couple of different innovations because, you know, not only are they battery powered and I mean, come on right now today with what we're dealing with, with gas, et cetera, is a huge innovation in, in cost savings because if you're calculating out your uh, fuel usage over time, it's skyrocketing at the moment. And if inflation keeps going the way it is, it's going to be, it's going to really significantly impact the overall cost of deploying uh, and building. So you, you have to look at everywhere you do that. And so this is an opportunity to use new electrical materials or new electrical equipment to drive down costs, especially because they can consume more renewable sources of energy through electricity. And I, I think for me, that's a that's a fantastic thing. And we need to see that. We need to see these equipment manufacturers come through. The other thing that you learn when you really start to dig into 
electrical construction equipment and electrical equipment in general is it's usually, and in this case it is, it's equipped with a lot more sensors. And the passive collection of data from job sites, although it scares certain current groups of people, is a critical path to the streaming of information and the understanding of the way that we deliver buildings. If we can passively collect data more like manufacturers do, then we have an opportunity to transform the way that we do construction. So this not only is a cost savings and an efficiency of operations, it's also a data play mm -hmm. in that we can start to get yeah. these single streams of information. So, I mean, I know, Trent, that's a lot. But, I mean, you're already seeing a lot of this, the former gas powered move over into electrical in, in a lot of different areas. Yeah, we haven't. Uh, at least in our region, I haven't seen a lot of the heavy equipment move that way yet. I mean, I think this is very new, yeah. uh, but I think it's a, I mean, come on, let's face it. I, I, I think it's an inevitable move at some point. I mean, we we know that electric motors and all this stuff is eventually going to move into that market. And, and it's it's probably a good thing. I just imagine myself as the apprentice back in the day that would have forgot to plug the, the electric scissor lift in at the end of the day. I could imagine coming into work as a, as an earth mover and <laughs> Did you plug the digger in? <laughs> I think one of the sensors is going to have to be, hey, you didn't plug the digger in. <laughs> Text somebody quick. Text somebody quick. Yeah, and it probably would. Obviously, it, it's going to be a more efficient machine. It's going to have a lot of data points to it. We talk a lot about sustainability uh, with these buildings. I mean, I think something that a lot of people don't realize is I think it's going to be easier to track energy consumption locally when you're doing something like that. I mean, a lot of times you don't really know where the fuel came from or where the, um, so as you're trying to get into this move of, you know, what, what all regionally accounted for the build of, of this structure or whatever, I think that you're gaining some data there as well. I mean, I think this is just an inevitable move. Yeah, and they're actually more powerful too. It's interesting the amount of torque you can get out of electric versus what you can get out of a, a classic diesel or, mm -hmm. or any driven that way. So any any thoughts on it, Anna, before I jump to our next one? That's really cool with the electrical batteries and everything. But I think that the only challenge is that um, it's a shortage of the raw materials to create the batteries, right? It's something that yeah. Tesla facing right now, right? So I think mm -hmm. uh, we just need to maybe create new type of batteries, right? And I know a lot of companies working on it. So it's just something that I see kind of like at the bottleneck, right? Yep. But once we figure out this with the raw materials, how to mine them and really like build the batteries, that definitely would be cool because, yeah, we really need to switch from the, uh, all of this uh, foil, um, or sorry, like the gas and oil and everything. Mm -hmm. We see all of the problems with the climate change and uh, whatever. So, yeah, I'm really excited about this, but I think it can take some time. Uh, they all take time and we've been covering a lot of this, but and it's spoken <laughs> truly from you as someone who's actually gone through the process of going, okay, where are the bottlenecks really going to come up? Like yeah. we have technologists and then we have realists and, mm -hmm. and sometimes they mix and yeah. Yeah, it's, you, you make a great point because it is going to be around those raw materials and the sustainability of those raw materials. Cause you bring this up in a lot of places and you'll start to hear about battery waste, et cetera. And th mm -hmm. that's not fake. That's real. Those are things we're going to have to, you know, it's it plastic when we, invented plastic there was all these great reasons well we didn't look down the road at what it was going to cost us in the end so mm -hmm. oh my so yeah. same thing but learn from our past and be more educated we're at that point where we can think about that and I, and I love that i mean you've got to have 
Yeah. If you if we all just agreed, we'd probably be in the future of plastics yet again. So let's not do that. <laughs> let's let's iron sharpen iron and let's look yeah. for those kind of opportunities. Well, that's why you got to put your goalposts up at the beginning, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Plastics were solving a problem for sure, but then they kind of took over realms that they shouldn't have. Yes. So I think we just didn't think about the close-up system, right? We like, a, mm-hmm. oh, great material, let's just keep using this. But what happens after that? Nobody really thought about this. Yep. So I think with the batteries, now you're right. The humanity is much more smarter, like you learn from the history. Yeah. And if we really like, okay, we create the batteries, and that, then we also know how to uh, dispose them and like uh, in a more sustainable way, right? And like uh, re- even recreate them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that would be uh, the really important point, uh, like a part of the uh, cycle, you know, yeah. coming with all of the new technologies. That's awesome. All right, my last one's a little doom and gloom, but I'm going to spin it as usual. Construction contractor outlook darkens as profit expectations and backlogs fall. Contractor confidence took another dive in June as backlogs, the lifeblood of future work in the construction industry, dipped into negative territory for the first time since January, according to the uh, Associated Builders and Contractors, the ABC. Contractors extend their pessimistic outlook to a fourth straight month with expectations for profit margins falling below a score of 50, indicating construction pros now think profits will shrink over the next six months. A lot of the reasons for that, you know, material escalations, the rise in the cost of of gas, like we've talked about, a lot of the things that we're pushing there. Now, what's interesting for me is I've been looking at some other things and the, you know, if you look at the architects in, in the AIA index, it's not down as much. It's down a little bit, but it's saying that, um, you know, things are going to shift. What we're seeing is we always look at a balance across this board. And the balance is being thrown off. You're going to see certain markets are really dropping off and you're not seeing investment. Retail is is really going down. Um, <clears throat> they work, you know, the office space is taking a real dive and TIs in that space are taking a real dive. But you're also seeing a huge uptick in the healthcare industries and you're seeing a huge uptick in affordable housing, like we've talked about. So there's a balance here. And what I wanted to talk about is like, look, if you're sitting pretty today and you think it's going to stay that way, you're in a really dangerous position. You're good today. You need to look down the barrel of where this is headed and be ready. You have to be nimble. You have to be agile. And in fact, nobody can tell you where this is going to go. When you look at the cost of inflation, that's going to impact the ability to invest money and money that's been invested. So, but but we all know this. We're on a lagging tail, right? We're nine to eighteen months behind what the rest of the world goes through. What we don't see as our opportunity is to take that nine to eighteen months and adjust the way that we do business and do it better, and keep projects on track, yep. right? How do you get ahead and show the transparency of the escalation and the supply chain issues and other things that are coming your way? to provide confidence to your customers, to keep the jobs that you have currently online and to give them confidence that you can continue to build into the future. So look, there's a precipice of some sort coming. We know there's a checkup coming, but how are you going to handle that? Because look at some of the other articles. We have what a $1.8 trillion infrastructure bill that just came out. So there's opportunity, there's money, but it's changing. Trent, what do you think when you, when you hear about these types of things? Look, this is contracting. I've been in this, you know, I've been in this game for over a decade. There's a couple words that that stuck out in your that, that you mentioned from the article, Jeff, and I'll get to those. But you know, on the mechanical side, we're we're coming off like a three-year high. This industry is cyclical. 
we see it. I mean, you said what the backlog is the lowest since January, six months ago. I mean, that that's nothing. We're we're prepared for this. And, you know, we're seeing the ramifications of COVID. We're seeing that now. Yeah. A, a lot of us were operating off of money that was already spent. The projects had already let good. We were working on them. And now we're seeing that money that wasn't spent two years ago is what we're is what we're going to see here over the next uh, little course. So that was one that stuck out January. I mean, that that's not a long timeline. Most of us are prepared for that. And then uh, you said they're they're seeing shrinking profits. Shrinking revenue doesn't have to be shrinking profit. So I want to get the get those two words. A lot of people say that they're uh, that the profit shrink. I mean, yes, our our revenue this year will be lower than it was last year. We already know that. We're forecasting it's down, but the profit doesn't have to follow that in kind. It doesn't have to be a direct. Uh, relation, you know, that we, we still have, we still have the overhead in place to sustain a certain level of revenue. So we can take that and use that for more risk mitigation, you know, from the revenue stream that we're seeing now. So this isn't a doom and gloom for me. Uh, this is going to bounce back. The, the long-term sentiment in contracting is still really good. Look, we, we don't have enough buildings. We don't have enough homes. We can't build them fast enough. All we're seeing now is people are scared with money mm-hmm. uh, and it's not going to last forever. Yeah, Anna, that's got to bring up a few things, especially given that you guys are innovating on that side of things and watching it for sure. As I know, today is kind of coming the recession, right? <laughs> and it's supply-driven recession, right? Yeah. So this is where I can kind of step in. What I know that the prices for homes are really like a skyrocketing, right? And it's actually the reality that there is no enough inventory. So home builders, they can charge more because they can, right? Because this is what the market right now. So what, how we see the, to, to uh, solve this situation, like it change the real market economy for the construction. Of course, it's not like a six month solution. It's, it's longer. <laughs> but yeah. if we equip the smaller companies or like a mid-sized companies with the technology, so they can build even like a shelves of the houses faster. They can schedule all of the other materials in advance, right? Because they know mm-hmm. that I'm going to build 100 shelves, shelves per year. I can now order, I don't know, 100 roofs, for example, right? It's something like a large home builders, like a linear operates. They really like yep. provide a huge demand, a huge order, right? And this is how they actually can get their lower price from the subcontractors. So Uh this is just kind of like a piece of our vision, how we see it to solve it. Uh We just need to really build more. In this case, the housing price will drop. And at least this problem kind of going to be solved, right? Because now home builders have a pretty huge margin. Just again. Because they can charge so much, so 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 much for the houses, yeah. and uh, I think that the supply chain also can be solved if you really can schedule everything, yeah. and if you have a, 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 a probability like Leonardo Pulte, for example, to place a huge order to you know order like eight uh, block uh, concrete blocks for eight months and a half. Small companies they don't have it because they don't have such a big uh, like uh, ability to to build a lot of homes like Naro or Kulti. So this is how we see it. It really can be like a really game changer for the long run in this construction industry and home building industry that I think getting even worse and worse every year. Again, 
not enough inventory, but construction companies keep rising the uh, the, the prices because they can, right? So it, it has to be changed. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And I think this pressure is going to help us with that. A lot of what we do is run to Home Depot and run to Lo- mm-hmm. Lowe's when we're building those homes locally. And yeah. that that does, doesn't work anymore. And, and there's a scale and an economy to that scale. And there's an ability to look out into the future. And your suppliers will tell you that. If you could tell me what you're going to use over the next year, mm-hmm. you give me the opportunity to yeah. go through my supply chains and get a better product in for you at a predictable piece. The problem is we're not giving them those predictions. And then we end up on the short side. And you're right. Those that have the higher buying power win. Mm -hmm. However, if you negotiate that contract up front and you give them predictability, they actually will supply it to you. Yeah. And so these are the pressures that shift and create innovation. And, you know, we've seen this throughout each of our downturns. And every time the economy has this problem, there's a silver lining of the opportunity to change the way we deliver and change the way we build or change the way any industry works. So it's those contractors that are looking at this now and starting to think about what you're talking about, Anna and Trent, starting to think about what you're talking about and really apply those as 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 good techniques and good changes in their business. And mm-hmm. hopefully that's what yeah. happens, you know, and unfortunately some people won't survive, right? As, as Josh Bone quotes, I forget who it is, but uh, you know, survival is optional and you can either adapt or die. And that's yeah. part of the process. And, yeah. and I, I don't like that. And I hope most adapt, but Hey, look in the, in the end, some people also want to walk off into the sunset. So you'll also see some of that. You'll see folks that, you know, it's their family businesses. They've been around for a while and it's their time to step out. That's great. Well, I loved everything we had to say today. Anna, it's been forever to have you on. I'm so excited that we had this opportunity to have you on and thanks for joining us. It's it, it's been great to have you. Any last words for anybody out there? First of all, thank you very much for having me today. That was a huge pleasure speaking with you. I think we really covered a lot of good topics and I'm really happy to share what we learned so far and what we're going to do. I think maybe just the closing words, it's, a, uh, it's really important for us right now. I think that that I want to share is that we're raising money right now. So we do the basically pre-IPO, you know, I just want to share this opportunity. Mm -hmm. Everybody who want to become a shareholder of our company, maybe someday in the future, we become the bigger than Google or something like that. So now it's the opportunity to participate in this journey earlier. So whoever interested, just go to our website and you can buy or share us online. Yeah, I think that's unique. You guys, I didn't, I forgot to say that before. It's my, my fault there. We wanted to talk about that. No worries. You guys have actually had the opportunity to go through the SEC. And yeah. so now what would normally be only available to private equity yeah. is now actually available to every one of us that has, yeah. it's like a thousand dollars, right? To, yeah. to If you yeah. have that or more, you can invest. So you have the opportunity now to go invest in Apiscore, go invest in the future. And that's something very different than a lot of the other opportunities that may exist that have to come through private equity. And I think that's yeah. cool because because that's right. that's the democratization of investment. Oh, it's a great strategy too. Mm-hmm. It is a great, you know, it's it's a really good way to get your name out there and and I think it's a good way to find a lot of really good partners too, you know, not not right. just people that give money, but maybe there's some other skills out there. Oh, yeah. Actually, some of the our early adopters actually invested, so they participated yeah. as a short yeah. shareholders basically, and also help us to move the the technology further. So, and as a like a legal disclaimer, so read all of the circular offering before make a decision. Read all of the risks. Yeah. <laughs> I just bring in the opportunity here. <laughs> yeah, the opportunity is there. Yeah, we are not responsible for <laughs> yeah. for money lost, money <laughs> won. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
that that the good disclaimer you gotta have it right <laughs> hey but at least you were willing to say the disclaimer yeah. up front so disclaimer is hey look there's an opportunity that every company makes it or doesn't yeah. mm-hmm. but ultimately this is a cool unique opportunity for folks yeah. so thanks again for, exactly. for joining us yeah trent thanks for making it through the first show as a co-host i hope we get to have you on more often yeah and in fact i'm going to tease the audience that we're actually going to have you on to talk about your background soon and looking forward to that but thanks for stepping in today and joining me oh the pleasure's been all mine this has been cool this is a really cool space. Uh, you know, Apis Core is a really cool company. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, this has been fun. Awesome, man. Well, thanks to both of you. Thank you for tuning in today to Geek Out for episode 317, our interview with Anna Chen Yun Tai from Apis Core. To read all our news stories and to learn more about apps, workflows, and hardware, please subscribe to our newsletter at jbknowledge.com. To subscribe to our podcast, text CONTACT to 66866. Thanks to Jim Greenley, our podcast producer, Kara Dalton Arrow, our creative producer. To listen to this show, go to the show website at thecontactcrew.com. This is The Contact Crew signing out. Until next time, enjoy the ride and geek out.